ready? Yeah. Do it. Hold on. Yo! Welcome back to another fun-filled episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are continuing our discussion of the Revelation Records catalog in chronological order. And we got a a benchmark record on this episode and a couple special guests joining us for the Patreon exclusive content at the end of this episode, which you can access by going to whereitwentpodcast.com, checking it out. I mean, just 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 check it out once. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But first, Jason, I would love it if you could uh, introduce both the record we're talking about today and our special guests. So today we're talking about the Damnation LP, Kingdom of Lost no, Souls. D- Damnation? Yes. Damnation AD. Yeah, you got, the AD is very important. Thank you, Hav. Uh-huh. The Damnation AD LP, Kingdom of Lost Souls, released in 1998, Revelation Records number 71. 71. Can you believe we've done 71 episodes? Hey, it just feels like 171. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are joined by Brian McTernan, friend Yo. of the pod. Family of the pod, family of the band we're talking about on the pod, and John Hennessy, who listener booked, of the pod, listener of the pod, friend yeah. of the pod, who booked Damnation ninety percent of the times that I saw them in D.C. in the early in the mid nineties. So thanks for hanging with us. Yeah, um, Greg, I think that now would be a great time to shout it. Yeah. So a big bit of bow to Jinx Proof Tattoo. This episode's sponsor obviously hits, you know, being from the DC area, right? They're in they're in DC proper. Is it yeah? DC. yeah. So, so they're in they're in DC. Um and uh you know, Mike from Damnation obviously he has a huge uh, part I've 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 probably 50% of the times I've seen Mike and I see him often he's got a jinx proof shirt on um yeah he was so. a big part of that when they opened it you know like it, it was like I think he helped them kind of find the space and like like it was always cool going down there and it's it's a great spot and it, it, Mike was always it, it, there, it actually we uh, it's illegal to have a tattoo shop. So there was no tattoo shop in DC. And then and those guys decided they, they wanted to figure that out. Mike did a lot of the legwork to help figure out the law around it. And they figured out they could do it. And they did it until the pagans had a little say about it. But yeah, there, there was a there was an incident early on yeah. with the biker gang. So they figured it all out. <laughs> and then fast forward to this year, and Mike is on TV in a biker gang, right? That's right. right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Brought it full, full circle. circle. That's cool. the circle of life. I mean, yeah. If I ever did get a tattoo, which I think I'm at this point, I'm past the point of it being a thing. But I, I, I would go to Jinx Proof for sure. Have Tad do it. You're never yeah. too late. If you had to get a damnation tattoo, what would you get? I get the fucking tank on my back. <laughs> <laughs> Take back piece. Because I'm a tank. <laughs> 
uh, Greg, you know, um, we interviewed Joe Foster once and he has a whole arm of DC hardcore tattoos, basically, or at least melodic hardcore tattoos. What DC hardcore band logo or inspired tattoo would you get? Uh, there's not, I mean, I feel like everything's been so done. Like, Who cares? I, I, I don't, I mean, of course, like there's the minor threat out of step. The, hey, the sheep. sheep would be, that'd be, I amazing. mean, that's, that's iconic. Yeah. Either the dag nasty, the, the wig out or the, can I say the flame head thing? Uh, you yeah. know, the, the scream guy screaming. There's, there's so many, the void crosses. I, th I think Joe Foster uh -huh. has the faith one, right? The F with the, yeah, I think so. In the circle. So. But then he also randomly has like the shelter Sudarshan Chakra on there, which is not yeah. DC hardcore, but hey, what are you going to do? Hey, but, but Jinx yeah, Brook Jinx... Tattoos is yeah. DC hardcore. It is. Through and through. Since they started, they always had a connection. Jinx with... Brook is classic, man. The Carl, Carl also uh, was, um, I mean, for probably a lot of your like hardcore fanatic bands, one of the owners was, uh, wasn't he one of the original owners of Action Pact? Uh, Did he? I don't. Hard so Carl, he, he, no, right? actually, yeah. Like, I think Did Carl, do I thought he I thought was, was the other? I thought it was the other. I thought it was Dar uh, Darren. Tim Owen, no. Tim Owen, no, no, no. But Tim Owen's in Maryland, but D Darren owned high, high Impact, and I think he oh, was, High Impact, yeah, he yeah, owned right, right, impact. right, right, That's right. And he was yeah. the and he booked all the shows in Delaware. Yes, yeah. right. Okay, sorry, I was yeah. getting but High Impact. Carl is on the back of the Turning Point Seven Inch. Yes, that crowd shot of the Turning Point Seven Inch and. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was a fixture at hardcore shows. Fucking, I mean, when you have a name like Hard Carl, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. True. <laughs> Jason, do you have any tattoos from Jinx Proof? Yeah, I got tattooed by their by Tad. I got the minor threat sheet done by him. It was actually the first tattoo I got on my left arm, and after that, I kind of just I had not been tattooed for I think ten years, and then I got him to do that minor threat sheet, and then that just kind of opened up the, the world of me wanting to get that arm done. But it was an awesome experience. And I will say that I got my arm tattooed at a lot of different places. And the tattoo I got by Tad at Jinx Group was just an awesome experience start to finish. And that's what I want as a neurotic tattoo freak, like a lot of people are, is you want to leave confident with the work that you got and happy with the experience you had with the artist. And I mean, Tad being Tad, it was, oh, I couldn't ask for you yeah. know, a better Tad's experience. Great, but... great guy. So like I said, I, I can only imagine... What, it, uh, it's also a pleasure. great location everybody that works here is fucking cool like it's just great it's a great yeah. i have the you, i have the, the dc flag from there and actually glenn he did it and then he like drew it out and then did my tattoo and then he used that as the flash on the wall so like hundreds of if not thousands of dc flag tattoo oh that rules they, like, put up there on the wall so that's kind of yeah but if you're in the area, if you're in D.C., stop by, check out the shop. If you want to get tattooed, it's a great place to do it. It's the only place in D.C. I would go to get tattooed at. So Absolutely. We'll put a link in them. the uh, we'll put a link in the episode uh, for their website. You can check it out. And they also sell merch, uh, T-shirts like we talked about and things like mm -hmm. that. So hit them up. Check out Tad underscore D.C. on Instagram. See some yep. of his yeah, you can also. see some of his work. Yeah. Hey, and Jinx. Jinx Proof, uh, isn't Carl in there? Jinx Proof 96, 1996, something like that. Listen, at Hellfest 2000, I remember a someone selling like silver rings and necklaces that said like 
straight edge and like three X's and like maybe like a bomb pendant. Was that jinx proof? Also, did they have a, a jewelry thing at they one did point? At some point? They had somebody making jewelry. It might have been Tad, actually, maybe. I don't know. I know Carl makes like tattoo guns and yeah, he they're all guns. really talented yeah. dudes. Yeah. Yeah. They all do cool shit. Uh, I'm gonna have to find out what that was because <laughs> that's so like 90s hardcore. Yeah, because the like, amazing thing is Tad just he's I mean, he was a lot younger than us. He worked at Smash. And then yeah. he started working at Jinx Proof, and he was a shop boy, and he just and he was an artist. But he, but he when when you lived there, he didn't do tattoos yet. And then now he's like the man, you know, runs the yeah. place. And, yeah, yeah, it's awesome to see. I love yeah. seeing. I love you know. I love stories like that. Success stories, yeah. Rags to riches, as it yeah. were. <laughs> well, anything else that we need to shout? Bibidipos. I don't have anything. Now, I, I actually would love to send a um, bit of bow to Jason Mazzola here. As you can all see on this call, I'm wearing a shirt today that's Red Hot Chili Peppers and the LA Lakers. And I've been wanting this shirt for years and didn't want to spend the like $15 to buy it. And I went to my post office today and it was there was a package from Jason and I opened it up and it was this fucking Red Hot Chili Pepper shirt and a shelter CD and the fucking howling laughter that erupted from my mouth was genuine and I wish that I could bottle it up like Monsters Inc style and <laughs> power a whole city. What, what shelter CD? Fucking Quest for Certainty. For certainty. The EVR one? Yeah, that's right. Nice. Uh, the original. No, it wasn't EVR, the original. Oh, Quest. No, Quest for Certainty wasn't it wasn't EVR. That was it was uh, a split release with Eagle Venus Vision. Venus de Vision and yes, Venus de Milo. Venus de Milo record. Check out episode what was it, 59? I don't think EVR had anything to do with it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That one they That's had cool. they the did. logos we, on the back of there. Yeah, yeah the logos. Did. It's it? on okay. it's it's on the, the cassette. Uh the EVR and Venus de Milo. Yeah, we did the yeah. episode with uh Steve Reddy. Yeah. and kate and talked about that one because then rev because rev ended up reissuing it, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. with a uh so go listen cover to that that's episode. not as good with the cover yeah. art that is not as good as the original but correct yeah. but whatever uh number that was 59 or something oh god man Bob, it well, makes me happy that you appreciated that. Man, I, I, I'm so stoked on this. Dude, he's a pepper, man. I'm a pepper you man. Are a pepper man. i'm a pepper man <laughs> <laughs> pepper man through and through <laughs> uh all right well, if nothing else, then I think it's time hey, to. Hey, can I give you a bit of bow for just doing this podcast and getting people like back listening to? Oh yeah. Like you know, years ago. I mean, obviously, there's there's those albums that everybody's continue to listen to, and there's other albums that like you know, it's like, oh yeah, that's amazing. So, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I love getting um, recognized by people that I don't know or even people that I don't think that I'm friends with that listen to the podcast and they're like, Oh, this was so funny. Or I love this episode or you're a fucking moron for not liking this or whatever it is. Keep it coming. I probably get that a lot, right? <laughs> hey, it, hey, it, it sparked a friendship with Norman Brannon that I will cherish for the rest of my life that it would not exist if he was not so mystified by my musical 
old proclivities. So. Yeah, like me and Jason, I think he was just like, uh, these guys are fine. They, they, they're, they're pretty, you know, they like what you're supposed to like. Yeah. And then Hav came in just, to, he had the wild card. Yep. And I think Norman really appreciated that. It was, that was one of the most fun conversations. Yeah. That was one of the most fun conversations we had, yep. but you think it's time to, it's time to kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it! First, so the first time I saw Damnation was I've been aware of you guys for a, a, a minute, you know, because you did the show. A bunch of people from my school went to the show you did with Lifetime at the church. It was like the mm-hmm. Hello, ba- it might have been the Hello Bastards record release, or you know, it was around that time. But it was a couple of years later, before this, like right before this record came out that we're going to talk about, Kingdom of Lost Souls. And I remember seeing Mike. And like, you know, just had this like, like larger than life presence, like a superhero. And you're wearing an <laughs> Indigo, an Indigo Girls t-shirt. And, yeah. and I thought that was so cool because like, it wasn't like a dude, you know, there was all these people there wearing, you know, their SSD and bold shirts. And then of course you'll have like Slayer shirts or whatever. And then here comes this band. That I, I just remember being like, this is so fucking heavy. And you have on the Indigo Girls t-shirt. Yeah, I think, you know, it's... Sorry, Alex, what? I was just going to say that I can vow that Mike was a fan. He wasn't fronting. Like, that That was really the music that he listened to in the van. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's, I think, you know... Yeah, I mean, even today, it's not the music so much that grabs me it's it's the lyrics and right. i gravitated more toward you know i had my of course straight edge bands really influenced influenced me to become who i am and still am and punk in general but you know for the most part i was more into personal lyrics and not many hardcore bands were doing that so uh, you know i just i was i liked it but it wasn't always my favorite I think that's kind of what makes it cooler to me almost because you, you may not realize it, but I think you're because of that, you're kind of conveying a different emotion almost that maybe if you were just like, I just want to be fucking brutal and heavy (laughs) wouldn't come across as much. Cause just like how we we've said on here, like, you know, the judge bringing it down and that's like an emo record really like it's heavy. And I I put damnation in that same box if I had to, you know, if I had to. Because I don't normally, I don't normally like, like, I like metal, metallic stuff, you know, crossover or whatever, but not necessarily like metallic hardcore. But always, for whatever reason, this resonated with me from minute one. It was like, it was different to me. 
than a lot of the other stuff that you were probably compared to where you were like, oh, I don't even listen to this band. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, I really think, you know, just the different um, personalities in the band, there were really five completely different people with, you know, we all, we had a lot of similar beliefs and we all had a similar love of music in general. But if I don't think any of us could agree on the same top five, Alex, would you agree with that? <laughs> I was going to say, I I think each of us thought we were in a different band, and I think we still do, <laughs> which yeah. is why it was always on the edge, like the knife's edge of like, you know, like, is are we done tomorrow or are we going to keep going or like, you know, but I think that makes it really interesting and, and like, like you're saying, like something that, like it really like explorative, you know, like we all agree on certain things that are always in the middle, but we're always kind of going, pulling it in different directions. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it didn't so well, you know, but um, it was, yeah, I think this band means something very different to each person that's in it. I, I'm sure a lot of bands are like that. You know, it's not just us, but because of the time too, you know, like that weird time in the nineties where things were, I don't know, like, everything seems so naive you know, maybe it's just because, you know, like where we were 25, early twenties, mid twenties, whatever it was. I don't know. The timing, all of us, our personalities, like you said, Mike, all of that stuff kind of like mixing together created something that is very unique. And I think it's unique to each of us, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things is ultimately was we all, yeah, we all really wanted different things from music in terms of what what the goal of the band was. And I definitely was not on the same level because I didn't look at myself as I, I didn't, I looked at each of them and I was like, these guys are talented and they can do something and maybe I can sell their merch. And honestly, that's how I saw, saw it. And they were like, well, you know, we could play real big places. And I'm like, I just want the rev star on a record and play basements and, you know, and I just, I de definitely did not see it. And I've said this a million times before. Like, I really believe if they had more of like a front man, they would have gone a lot further because everyone in that band is so talented, like music wise and not saying, Oh, I suck or whatever. But I think to be successful, you know, like 18 visions, they have such a, a front man, you know, who's like entertaining and then, you know, they played samples and in, in between songs. So I wouldn't talk, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and turn off and turned off the lights. Cause I just look so awkward and, you know, and I'm okay with that. And, you know, it's just, it's who I am. And, you know, kind of going back to like, we were all very real people um, and got up there and it wasn't, there wasn't, you know, we had goofy lights. Like we had those, uh, uh, pumpkins and and uh, ghosts and everything that we bring up sometimes, but you know, I think along with it being heavy and dark, you know, especially lyrically, we wanted to have fun and we wanted to enjoy ourselves, and it yeah. wasn't like okay, we're going to get up there and put on a show. I mean, like I, I I think I've said on this podcast before, the first time I remember seeing you around here, you had a mohawk, 
and sunglasses <laughs> and big fat ex, fat X's on your hands and like a smorgasbord straight edge shirt. And it, that definitely didn't quote unquote go with the music or the vibe of the music or the one thing that I always saw damnation AD as was mysterious. You know, the first couple records, there's no photos. I don't know who the fuck is making this noise. It's weird. There's it's uh, there's sample lots of samples going on, and then you see pictures and zines, or you see live, and it's like, oh, these guys aren't like living in a cave eating babies or whatever. <laughs> like this is they're just regular hardcore kids like me. <laughs> well, that's funny because I was going to ask Alex what what records were you on all the record. Pardon my, I could have done well research. But I, I actually uh, want to lead in with that because in my research alex is the first record that you played on the split with walleye because you're on the you're on the uh credits for that and that ties into what we're talking about about because that song is on kingdom of lost souls it is correct no i so i didn't play on the first seven inch because that was literally ken did everything himself uh he even sang on it Mike did some vocal tracks, but Ken went in and and re-recorded them. Yeah, without him. And whispered. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I wasn't on that first thing, but I I was on everything else after that. Um, I so yeah, my story really quick is I got lucky enough to be asked to go on a Worlds Collide tour. I think their second tour of the U.S. Um. I was like roadie number four, I think. <laughs> <laughs> there were more uh, little same amount of roadies as there yeah. were band members. <laughs> Luckily, I was skinny enough that I could kind of slide in, you know, like take up half a seat or whatever. Um, and so on that tour, I got to know Ken a little bit better. And then when I think that that first seven inch was recorded on the end of that tour, if I remember correctly. Um, and I was around and, and I was kind of interested in learning how to play. I wasn't really a musician. I was just kind of like a fan more than anything else. And, um, you know, when worlds collide kind of stopped happening, I think I was asked just to play maybe the first show, like, Hey, we need someone to play bass. Ken was on drums. Halal was on guitar and Mike was singing. And I was learned two songs basically to play this first show at Safari club. And, you know, once that happened, then it's like, okay, boom, you're in the band. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I I think I was on every release. Um, yeah, except yeah. that 7-inch, because it was just, I think Ken and I did three or four songs, just the two of us. I think we did, like, mm-hmm. one or two at Matt Squires, and then one or two with Issa. And then you know that. So you're on the you're on the victory the victory one yeah. and the and the yeah, yeah. One. I was I was kind of there at the beginning. It's weird. I did I just Googled it and like looked on Wikipedia and there's a bunch <laughs> of names on there that like Dave Johnson or something. Like, people that like I don't know where this stuff comes from and it's not real, but like I don't care. Like whatever. But yeah, yeah. I was I I mean I can tell you like I'm not. I mean I I play music a little bit. I'm not a bass player. So for the most part, I tracked everything, but it was kind of Ken, like telling me exactly what to play, you know, me sweating buckets, like doing, doing my parts and having to like, you know, this is on tape back in the nineties or whatever, like punching in, hitting, you know, like redoing parts, like holding my breath. Like, did I do it? 
Like I, 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 sometimes I was like, I think I got it. He's like, no, you're late. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know and it makes I mean? it even worse now with uh, Pro Tools because he's like, look, yeah. just look at the screen. You're late. And I was like, <laughs> like yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. the same way I am. I'm basically like, Ken is so just talented and knows exactly what he wants. Like he'll hear the song completely finished before he, he's even finished writing it. And so he was just like, okay, this is what you're going to do. And, and, and okay, it always, you know, it, it always blew my mind. Cause like he's right. I mean, this record came out around the same time as the battery and the better than a thousand, like he was writing just like, I just imagine just sitting there with a guitar, like writing all these different songs and they're different types of songs. Like a battery song doesn't sound like a damnation AD song. Um, but yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but I was just saying like, it amazes me, I guess the wealth of like riffs the guy has oh, um, because he must dream, crazy. he must dream, uh, dream in riffs. Uh, yeah. in riffs. Yeah. <laughs> it's not in color. He dreams in riffs. Hey, listen, before we get into kingdom of lost souls to touch on one more thing about that split with walleye, by the way, I know that Greg is a huge walleye fan. Um, on I think Disc- all of us are on Discogs. It has mention of the WWE wrestler Lita. <laughs> Could you uh, tell us about that real quick? You want to? What do you? What do you uh, know about Lita, Mike? Do you want to do it, or shall I do it? <laughs> no, I mean, well, so since um, I know she lived with lived at the house and you know came with us a lot when we would play um i remember because at the time we would rent like little minivans and we could barely fit in but somehow we were getting a ton of extra people um i just i don't know i think i i don't remember exactly what everyone did or what her part was on that because um yeah lots of things happened after i left so (laughs) i have no idea yeah, she lived. She lived in that same house where the studio was and the the practice space where we recorded with Bloodlead and Unbroken and all that stuff. She um, she was like, this is way before she was Lita. She was mm-hmm. just a she was just a like a crusty punk girl from Atlanta, I think, who was moving to Richmond to move in with her boyfriend who told her at the last second, uh, actually, I don't want you to move in with me. Like maybe that's a little too much information for the podcast, but anyway, she, <laughs> she, she kind of moved in with us at the, like unexpectedly at the last second, because we had just met her a couple weeks before and she had our phone number and she was nearby and she ended up living with us for a pretty long time for, I don't know, years, I, I think. think. Yeah, and I'm just you know shout out to her how successful she is. That's yeah, what I'm, like I'm I cannot believe it. You know, I just think it's so cool. She had a giant. She had a giant dog. Um, she she moved in with this big giant Doberman Pinscher that would just like, you know, like chew stuff up and get in the way all the time. Uh, he was always like laying on the whenever I'd come home from work, he'd just be like passed out on the sofa because I don't think he ever went outside. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she was a nice person. Yep. She was our roommate. And then a couple of years later, 
someone says, Hey, like, check this shit out. <laughs> Look who's on TV. Like, what? <laughs> That's wild. You know, yeah. well, it's it, in, you know, I, she slept in the kitchen because there was like a second kitchen in the got, place. A milk crate. And, she made a bed out of milk yeah. crates. Yeah. Yep. And so, um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. I just think it's so cool just how far she's come from <laughs> sleeping on milk crates to, uh, yeah. to what she's doing. Yeah. Since since Ken's not here, I'll tell you something. She used to sneak into his room. He's on his door. She would sneak into his room. He had the only TV in the house. She would lie on his bed and watch TV when he wasn't home <laughs> with her dog. <laughs> I think he. I think maybe he found out later. But like, I was like, "Girl, you are like asking for trouble. Like, if a dude locks his door, you don't fucking go in his room." <laughs> but. uh yeah, she was cool. She was funny. I wanted to ask about, you know, because obviously we're doing this podcast about Kingdom of Lost Souls because we talk about Rev. But I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Jade Tree um, because, you know, the first two, dam- well, and plus the splits, you know, multiple Damnation AD releases were on Jade Tree. Was it... When when this was was there ever a thought of this going to be on? Because at that point, nineteen ninety eight, Jade Tree was like really popping. You know, they had like Kid Dynamite, Promise Ring, Jets to Brazil. Did you just kind of feel like Rev was a better fit? Like, what made you decide to go from Jade Tree to Rev? Well, Alex, I have no have- idea. Or was it all Ken? Because I I remembered all better than a thousand battery and damnation all kind of were at the same time. So I don't know if it was like Ken, you know, it was was a three for one package deal. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Buy two, get one for free, and we were the we were the one throwing. Well, no. So, well, this is something because I remember talking to him a lot about it. Um, at the time, we were starting to do bigger shows and and just have more of a name out there. And there was a couple like bigger metal labels that were interested. Um, like, uh, I can't even think of the names now, but, you know, just kind of not like, hey, we're going to sign you guys, but like coming to check out the shows and and, you know, and I think with J-Tree, it just kind of ran its course. We were still, I mean, we're still friendly with them, you know, like Tim and Darren. I see them pretty frequently. Um, amazing people, amazing label. But I think it was just like, okay, how long can we be the one odd band out on on this label? It was just, there was nothing even remotely like us on there. So, um, and so, you know, we just, and I think as we were playing more and meeting new people, like it just kind of started to show like, oh, well, you know, we do have other possibilities. And my main thing was, I just wanted that rev star to be honest with you. Like I was just like, I loved it. And, you know, we, one of the guys came out from victory originally and talked to us. That's why we did that seven inch with victory. Um, but that, I don't, I don't remember why that didn't happen. Um, but like, I don't, I, I know there was like a couple other conversations with other labels, but 
I think it just really sold me just the history of Rev and then, you know, battery being on there. And, um, like I was just super excited. I, cause I, again, this goes back to me not seeing the big picture of what's a label that can really take us to the next level. Like I never really even thought of that where those other guys definitely were. Um, but I was really persistent. Like we got to do this. We got to do this. And I'm so thankful for Jordan and, uh, Jason who was there at the time and everyone else. Cause they were, I mean, still, uh, you know, I love them and so thankful they took a chance on us and same with Darren and Tim, like so thankful that they did too. You know, I went to high school with Tim, you know, he's the reason I failed woodworking and history, <laughs> I think. So, uh, yeah. Oh, type typesetting. I failed history, woodworking and typesetting. I failed because of Tim. So, um, you know, but, uh, yeah, just we're, we're incredibly lucky because we haven't had the horror stories with labels that a lot of bands have, you know, cause I can say that, you know, whether it's, um, J tree revelation, victory, even, you know, Clint who worked at victory is now working at rev. Like he's a very, very close friend of mine. So, you know, like, I think we're kind of like, we got really lucky because we stayed such great terms with all of the labels we've worked with. And I think most of your stuff's pretty easy to get still, as far as I know, which is a good, um, I mean, that's, I think it's in print. I don't know about, well, I don't know about the J tree stuff, but. J tree stuff isn't, um, you know, but it, it was re-released. Um, and of course, cause I'm on the spot. I can't think of the label. Um, didn't Epitaph buy the J Tree catalog? Epitaph got yes, the J Tree, but then somebody did. We were actually talking about this um, before uh, we you guys came on because they there was the No More Dreams reissue. It was called Over and Out yeah. Recordings. Over yeah. and oh my god, yes, and, and that was done Detroit, in 2019. Brendan? Yeah, right. again, like we've just we've been so lucky in the labels we've worked with. Um, you know. Even we put out a well, and I didn't even realize this till years later. But Jamie from Hatebreed put out a split with has uh, Cold, and then there's um, that Cure song we did, and then um, there's a band called Deadbeat, and I don't know who they are, but I didn't even need, know he put it out until like a couple years after that. And he came up to me, was like, "Hey, I've been carrying these seven inches around for you guys for years. Here you go." And I was like, oh, shit, you know, so and then working with uh, organized crime to do the cure record, like, you know, we've just been really lucky because, yeah, nothing but great, great things to say about every label. The way the way I remember it, um, that was a time when we we were actually talking about getting a producer to work on this album. Like, I think I think we were ready to try to actually take a big step forward in terms of that type of thing. You know, we, we, we got a, my friend Dave to play drums for this, right? Like we, you know, we finally had a real drummer is the way I'm going to put it. And, you know, like <laughs> we, we spent a really long time writing these songs. And I think we were um, really excited about the possibility of what this could be. So we were looking for a label that could help us get a producer um, that was going to cost a lot of money possibly. Um, and I think 
I'm sure Ken had a, a relationship with Jordan through his, you know, better than a thousand and battery already. And, and that's maybe why he was able to get the funding that he needed to try to get that producer that, that never actually happened. But I know we were talking to a couple different people. Um, was it one of the guys, Jay from white zombie or something? Jay, Jay from white zombie, the guitar player was talked to us multiple times. We actually talked about working with the guitar player from skid row. Um, Dave, the snake Sabo, I think had a studio in Jersey and was producing. Not the stuff. first, not the first time that name's come up on this no. podcast, by the way. He did, uh, Brian did six going on seven at his place, I think. Yeah. So yeah, we were, and we then, were kind of like, and then Lars that, from you know? Rancid at one point, but then he ended up doing like dropkick Murphy's or something. Like, cause I remember he came to see us in Boston and we talked to him for a while. Really? Yeah. Jason, you keep on looking like you're about to say something and then go mute. I haven't heard from you in a while. Oh, it's okay. No, I mean, we're we're the, through the course of the conversation, you're answering all the questions I had, which is just for Alex. When we started, he was talking about the state of the band and around the time of, uh, before this record was recorded. So that's what I was interested in hearing about. But then also I saw that some of the music was recorded in her ear. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask about that, the recording and, getting together with Don Zinatera, how much you were both around for that, or if that was Ken on his own doing that. Did you track vocals at Inner Ear, Mike, or did you do that up in Boston? Yes, I did. And I used a microphone that they used on Embrace and Rights to Spring. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. and, And, you know, because those are two of my favorite records ever. And, um, I asked him and he was like, Oh yeah, here, I made this, special microphone for them to use and i used it for part of a song i don't remember exactly what 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 it was but that was a really interesting recording because we took so much time on it where you know especially misericordia i mean that was done in what two days two and a half days um you know recording getting sounds recording mixing was like two and a half days um and then where this we spent like what four or five days on drums alone um and that was up in boston i think um the outpost um, yeah it says and that's yeah that's a studio i mean that's where uh fun fact jason will appreciate that's where sugar did copper blue oh nice oh yeah I it's like a that. Jim 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 Siegel, I guess, is the guy that owns the outpost. He didn't do the sugar, um, but they did it at that studio. But yeah, I mean, I that's my thing. I was gonna say is this record sounds fully realized. Mm-hmm. I love the recording. Um, I've said before, I'll go on record as saying maybe a hot take. This is my favorite damnation record. Um, I just love the way it flows. I think it sounds perfect. I just I I like the I just love the recording and the performance. It's the only stuff. one that I can actually listen to today because mm-hmm. of the production and the recording. The production is is yeah. great. Um and it's not it's not like overblown like it just sounds perfect for what the style is. Yeah, it's I remember cuz I I definitely was there for every like I would just be there for every aspect of it. And I remember Ken bringing in like three pair of speakers and then going and listening in his car and then going in my car and like, 
you know, listening to it through it a couple times on each set of speakers just to ensure that it sounded the way he wanted it to sound like no matter how you listen to it. And, you know, again, I didn't have much input or any really, I, it was all, it was all pretty much Ken. I mean, I remember we would be there sometimes like till like four or five in the morning. Cause that was something I, I went back and listened to it the other night for the first time. And, you know, however many years, um, and just trying to remember it. And, you know, cause I remember that I would get home sometimes like five o'clock in the morning and hang out for a little bit and hang out with my mom and have coffee before she went to work. And then I'd go to bed. And then a couple hours later, my dad would get up like, if you're going to live here, you got to do the dishes or you got to take out the trash. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've only been asleep for like an hour. Like, <laughs> So, yeah, it, but, it, you know, it was a really interesting Don, you know, and this is not against him, but he didn't really have any input at all other than ensuring everything worked properly. Which, you know, so he did his job, basically, you know, because Ken knew exactly what he want, wanted and um, and Don just kind of ensured that Ken had everything he needed and unlimited amounts of coffee. Like, well, always there was always fresh coffee going on. And so, you know, and I just I remember it was a really neat experience just being in that studio with all so many iconic bands that I grew up loving. Uh, it was kind of intimidating, but but it was a really wonderful experience. He doesn't have a producer credit on it, by the way, for what it's worth. It just says that like it was recorded. Yeah, like it's oh, it okay. shows that that Ken. I, I, actually, I want to say I keep putting away the the notes, um, but I want to say yeah, it's, it it actually says it's produced by Ken, um, yep. and it was mixed by Ken at Inner Ear. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that he, Ken, has focus and knows exactly what he wants from the very first, like, I, you know, I said this before, like, I think he'll hear a song in his head start to finish before it's even finished and mm. know how he wants it to sound. And this was the first time that he could have, I, I don't want to speak for him, but in my head, it's the first time he could have his vision of what it, he really wanted a record to sound like, um, have that come true. Yeah, obviously he's, he's not here. He would have, a, he would have, he could probably talk for, you know, eight hours straight about this, that the, the, that record production and, you know, things that happened and things that didn't happen. I don't think inner ear was where, I don't think that was always the plan on where we were going to go to finish it. And when he did go there, that he does have some really funny stories about, you know, certain things not working or, you know, things not being quite like what you thought they were, you know, like, oh, this is this great studio where all this important music was done. And it was a bit, you know, like, it's still like kind of homemade, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's one reason why he was bringing in all these extra speakers, because like, oh, that's Don was like, oh, yeah, that one doesn't work sometimes. You just have to hit it like that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that, that's what I'm saying. You, you, you're right. You nailed it. Homemade because he built yeah. a lot of that stuff himself and, you know, and basically just was there to ensure it worked. Um, and I just really, really wonderful person. You know, you could just tell he loves music and loves being around people creating I mean, he's music. He's so important to mm -hmm. what we, 
I mean, really, all of us, what, you know, the bands we, we grew up on, he yeah. had a hand, I mean, nobody can say that they, in, in this chat, can say that they weren't touched by at least one record that he's done, you know, and yeah. it's pretty awesome. I, think, I, think I do want to... No, go ahead, finish your... Finish I, your I just want to say, I do want to go on the record as saying, because I know we're going to get asked, we did ask Ken to come on here to talk. <laughs> Ken, if you're listening... <laughs> come back come back we'll talk to you for a part two yeah I'm, I'm gonna i want to i want to say a quick antidote that is that may not may or may not be true <laughs> and that's like related to this like i think this was by far the heaviest thing that don had ever heard in his studio before i think he was a little bit to be honest i think he was a little bit kind of like whoa like took a step back um and he and it wasn't i'm not going to say he wasn't comfortable with it but it wasn't like you know, I think there were sounds coming out of his speakers that he hadn't heard before, possibly, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe yeah. it. Yeah, I believe and, it. And and this this may be something I dreamt, and I don't know if I should go on the record on saying this or not, but I'm pretty sure Ken told me a story that like some of the Fugazi guys were hanging around, and Joe Lally came in and said, "What is this? This is the heaviest thing I've ever heard in your <laughs> studio before." I love that. And I'm like, I, and I'm pretty sure like, yeah, Ken told me that story. Like, I think that's pretty awesome. You know, like, cause he's someone who's a little bit more attuned to that world than maybe the other. I was just going to say knowledge bank, as Jason would say, I know Joe came up on, like, he was a huge fan of the obsessed. Yeah. And, and maybe cause I'm the bass player and I'm like, you know, like I, I'm like, you know, I feel that kinship to other bass players or something. I don't know. I I can, I can, cause those low, I, I, Went down, I lived in downtown DC and I rode my bike down to Inner Ear, which is in Virginia, a couple of days when mixing was happening. Um, and I remember getting there, I was kind of like, it was a long bike ride and I was tired, it was hot. Um, and I remember just like, I, I kind of, I heard just a couple of minutes and I'm like, okay, this is good. I, there's nothing I'm going to do that's going to make this any better. This sounds amazing. Like it was almost like a little bit too much. You know, like I, Ken's in control. I trust him. And then I, that was it. That's like the last time I heard it. But so I wasn't there when Joe Lally popped his head in, unfortunately, but you know, I wish, well, I wish I was. <laughs> well, they did drop by while I was doing vocals. So I wasn't because Fugazi was leaving for Europe the next day or something. And they kept a lot of their equipment there. So they were picking up their equipment while we were recording. And I remember being really like terrified because two of my favorite singers singer of embrace and singer of rights of spring were there and i'm like and don's telling him oh yeah he asked to use the microphone that both of you guys used and i'm like way to make me look like an asshole (laughs) so but you know you know don's one of the things that that i will always remember about him he had all of these like tiny little puzzle games you know like with you know um, kind of like the like a Rubik's cube or something, just to keep your mind and hands occupied. And he had tons of those, and that brought my stress level down and my anxiety down because you know it's like you know the ones where you're you're moving the thing and you got to get the ball in the hole or something. Yeah, you know, just like little little handheld puzzle games, and that's what I remember. Like he'd be like, "Hey, if you like this one, try this one," and, you know. And they were all over the place. So, but yeah, that was a really great experience. And I think we, 
we went out to dinner with him one night and it was just like, you know, he's just such an interesting guy. And, you know, it, he wouldn't open up unless you really dug in. He wasn't someone who was like, Oh, let me tell you about the time I recorded seven seconds and you know, whatever. Um, but you know, if you did ask the right questions, he had some really great stories. Oh, I would have punished him. It would have been, everyone would have hated me. Yes. <laughs> yes. No one getting any work done. <laughs> Very true. You know, we were going to do this podcast on this record that came out, but Greg was busy talking to Don and it never got recorded. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's been talking oh, to Don since 1998. It's a yep. 25-year-long conversation. Mm. <laughs> but I wanted to ask Mike about, uh, I saw that Ken is also credited for writing some of the lyrics, and you're a big lyric person like myself, so... How was that process with collaborating on lyrics for these songs? Well, I mean, it was the same as it always was because I don't, and it goes back to Ken having a feeling for what he wants the song to sound like. Um, I would always just give him like a notebook or just sheets of paper, like uh, the the original um, lyrics for the Hanged Man are written on um, Little Merma- a Little Mermaid notepad. Um Like, and I still have those, you know, so it like a lot of times. And so I I just, uh, you know, all the records were the same, you know, I would say almost, you know, Ken took my ramblings and kind of made them cohesive. And a lot of times also it was just conversations we'd have because I think he knows me better than I know myself. Um, And so he was able to just kind of, take what I wrote and, you know, clean it up, make it rhyme because anything I write never rhymes. And so a lot of times if you see things rhyming, you'll know that he had, he had a big part of it. Um, I just, you know, yeah, but I mean, it was like that with everything we've ever done, you know, I felt comfortable. I trust him enough to let him speak for me. I guess if you want to say that. Um, so yeah, there's just like, I would just hand him, you know, tons of different ideas and he would just clean them up, put them together and, and see what worked. We always Good talk question. About- I'm learning stuff. I'm learning stuff today too. I never knew that was the process. <laughs> yeah. I cool. mean, you know, he's so much, he's like really creative and really, um, you know, he just, he's much more, um, I don't know. I'm not going to say vocal, but just creative in general, I guess, you know, I don't have the same writing style that he would. Cause I'm just so like, just put it all out there and then see what happens with it. And, um, you know, and he, yeah, he would definitely, I had no problems with him kind of like dissecting what I would write. And and then adding his touch to it, Jason. Yo, okay. So for this one, the layout for this record has got a cool story behind it because I reached out to Jason Farrell on the State of the Nation episode, and he told me about the original cover concept, which is actually a CD promo that I had for Kingdom of Lost Souls had the original layout for the record, and he said that he worked with you on that Alex so I wanted to see what your memories were if you could tell uh, the story Jesus I was afraid this we were going to go down this rabbit <laughs> hole 
Yeah. Are this you was, a designer, Alex? Is well, that, what's, like, what's funny, yes, is like, that's my career is I'm a designer professionally now for 25 years plus. And a lot of it goes back to this very, I can thank Revelation Records and I can thank Jason Farrell for helping me get this started. Because, um, so to take a, like maybe a step or two back, Dave Bryson, who was our drummer on this record, um, I think by the time we had recorded it, he had already started playing with Blue Tip, which is Jason Farrell's band at the time. I, I knew the name sounded familiar. Yeah. yeah. And Jason also, Farrell. Jay, wait, real quick. You know yeah. who, um, what the name Dave Bryson, you know, there's another Dave Bryson out there. <laughs> yes. You know who he plays drum for, Greg? Who? I think he's a guitar player, actually. Wait, is he? I thought he was a drummer. Yeah. Counting Crows. Oh, it all comes back. Yes. yes. Different David Bryson. Different Dave Bryson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Remember so Dave. Third eye blind shit. Yeah. Dave was playing with Jason. And, you know, so I started, you know, socializing with Jason a little bit. And Jason, of course, at that time was doing all the layouts for everything Discord was putting out. Um, he was kind of like the cover mechanic was his title. Um, and he, a lot of those records look great. And he was, he had some stuff that he was doing for blue tip that I, that I saw like on his computer screen that looked really cool. So I kind of thought, Hey, this makes sense. Let me, let me, let's lean on this guy. Let's get him to help us out. But I went to him with some pretty whack ideas. To be um, kind of going a big gang, going back to like the weird, um, time, the weird kind of place this band was in at this point where I kind of had the feeling like things were kind of going down the drain. Um, so I really wanted to do this kind of like outside gray, no type, no information. And then inside, you know, you get some goodies like coffins, tanks, uh, computer chips, you know, like all the, whatever, all the graphics would be inside the CD. Cause it, yeah, at that point, I think most people focused on the CD packaging first, not the LP. You know, like CDs were the prime um, form of music distribution, I think, at that point. So we were thinking CD first, right? So it was gray kind of outside. And then the tank that's, you know, on the cover now is just like one element inside. Um, and that tank really comes from, you know... Uh, Turn Into Ghosts is a song that we, I think it's like the third song on the record. It was supposed to be the single. It's the song that we probably spent the most time rehearsing and overwriting. We used to, we played that a bazillion times. And I think it kind of like infected our brains a little bit. We used to, the, the way the rhythm of that and the way it kind of lurches and propels itself forward kind of, you know, like we just started talking about how it feels like this, you know, like, like a tank, you know, like this mechanized kind of like thing that's barely keeping it in control, but it's, you know, whatever it has this power and this weight to it. So, so that had been in a conversation somewhere. So that's, that's sort of when, you know, like, um, what that, what that graphic is, I mean, this is getting really long winded. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know any other way to do it, but, um, like that graphic is the cover of a board game my older brothers who are kind of big nerds and big music fans and who turned me onto music basically at a really young age. 
they used to play these really complicated strategy board games, kind of like Risk and D&D, like times 10, you know? And this is in the 70s. So this is when I'm like a really little kid. So this board game was just something that was kind of like left in the bottom of a closet. Um, you know, like my dad had just died. I'm spending a lot of time at my mom's house. I'm helping her clean out the closets. So this, you know, I pull this board game out from the bottom of a box or whatever. I'm like, oh shit, tanks. Like we keep talking about tanks and band practice. I'm going to work this into the layout somehow. You know, like it just kind of, you know, like a lot of things just sort of, you know, when you don't know what you're doing, you just make random decisions and you just kind of like go with it. <laughs> so, you know, fast forward, we said, we, we did this artwork, Jason Farrell and I, didn't show it to anybody else in the band. <laughs> he printed 30,000 copies or whatever. And I think um, Ken was out there on tour with better than a thousand or whatever. I don't know. And sees it and was like, what the hell is this? This doesn't look like anything. And it didn't, you know, it, like it, to be totally honest, it wasn't that great. And it really wasn't. I, I was kind of hoping Jason would maybe do a little bit more with it. And I, I didn't know. And are you talking about the the gray one right now? Gray, or the, actual the gray finished cover. Product? The okay. gray cover, yeah. right. The gray CD packaging. Okay. Which um, Jason sent in the messages, you can see it. Yeah, which, you know, it was kind of a little bit like what Jason was doing for his other personal bands, but it didn't really, it wasn't finished. And he probably spent five minutes on it, to be honest. Like, you know, what does he care? Um, and so someone at Revelation actually took the CD packaging and kind of like re turned it inside out, created the, took the thing that was on the inside, put it on the outside, you know, and I see it later. I'm like, what the hell is that? Oh, well, you know, but at that point I don't care because I haven't talked to Ken in like a year and the band's broken up and I don't think anyone's ever going to, here we are 25 years later talking about it. It's kind yes. of crazy, but, <laughs> um, so Oh, good, so yeah, sorry. it was all kind of like a bunch of bad decisions, bunch of mistakes, like, you know, here we are 25 years later. Uh, I'm, you know, like a month or two ago, we, I started talking to my friend, Greg, who actually works at revelation, Greg Brown. We're talking about doing like a limited edition cover for the 25th anniversary. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's tanks on this goddamn thing. There's a war in Ukraine. Tanks are like the number one story in the news. Like when I when I pulled this out of the bottom of my mom's closet, it's like, oh, this is from the 70s. This is some like old ass thing that's like tanks. Like mm -hmm. what the hell is, you know, like that's so archaic and it's all beat up and that's kind of cool. But it's like, oh my God, it's in it's like the headline in the news now. And I feel really kind of strange and uncomfortable that that is the packaging on that album. And like, there's nothing I can do about it, but here we are. Yeah. Is so that your is name this, at the top? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is that your, is this your copy that was scanned? Yeah. So my brothers used to take these board games to the library in the neighborhood and they used to like, let them borrow them. So this was like, these were really like the way I understand it. This was a really small company from Baltimore, like a really like kind of local thing at that point. So these were like, whatever, maybe hard to find or something. Um, so they used to write their name on it so, so they would get them back. And it was the same thing. Like they have like all these old like Black Sabbath albums, you know, like with their name written on it, giant on the cover. I'm like, what did you, why did you guys do this? Like, I don't know. We used to lend them to our friends and we wanted to get. <laughs> so 
I have something really interesting about um, Avalon Hill, the the guy, the company that produced this game. So I did in ninth. Well, like some of my best friends growing up, this guy Eric and his brother Clayton. Eric and I did Free Thought fanzine in ninth. I think I was in ninth grade, and his dad printed it. His dad was the head of the printing factory for Marriott. Um, so Marriott hotels, Bob's big boy, like stuff, you know, anything involved with Marriott. He also did printing and I could be slightly off on this, but I think he did some printing for Avalon Hill also. And he was very good friends with the owner. So I had played those games when I was a kid because he, the owner just gave, um, gave, a bunch of them to Mr. Smith, my friend Eric's dad, and we would try to play them, but we were much too young to understand them. But so that, you know, so I was playing Avalon Hill games back in, you know, 84, 85, whatever, you know, nine, 10 years old, trying to grasp this and definitely couldn't. But it's kind of neat that all these years later, Alex uses that. Yeah. It's called Panzer Blitz or Black Panzer. Yeah, Panzer Blitz. There was there's a whole series of like you know World War II era you know like simulated warfare games. There's just something about this one, you know, like like we moved when I was a kid, so like I lost all of my stuff, and there were there were just like a couple of random boxes of things that my brothers left behind, and this was one of them. I used to, I mean, I'm not, this is weird, but I used to sit and just stare at this graphic when I was a kid, you know, like it was like a comic book to me or something. I don't know. It was like, it kind of had something about it that, um, just cause of the way, because of the printing or something, I don't know the colors, the, the composition, I don't know, but it, it, to me, it sort of, um, it definitely like turned a light bulb in my head about vis- you know, visual art or, you know, graphic design or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I don't know. That's why it just, it clicked with me. And, you know, Ken was like, yeah, tanks, cool. Put it on the cover. You know, like, I don't know, like <laughs> he, that he, he was into that. He wasn't into like, oh, let's just do an all gray thing with a barcode on the front with no type, you know, like that's what I, like at the beginning of the conversation, when I was talking about how we all kind of felt like we were in maybe a different band, like I wanted to be in that band with like a gray cover, you know, with like no lyrics, everything, maybe all the songs are maybe like, way slower than they were, you know, like that was the band I was kind of hoping to be in. And, and, you know, I would try to do that, get those things in wherever I could, but this, this was just sort of like a series of weird, like little accidents that kind of happened. And here we are. I like it because it's got that personal touch to it, which is your, whoever wrote their name on it. And then the, the marker. So it's definitely unique. And I've always loved this cover, but I just want to go on record and say that I did send my personal copy to Jason Farrell of the CD <laughs> promo because he didn't have one. So I said, you know what? Let me just send this to you. It feels right that you should have well, it. So. That's funny. I just saw mine recently uh, and I remember getting it and being like, wait, is this how promos co- promo copies look now? Like <laughs> I, I had no, I, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp what was going on. And then, yeah. So yeah, the I idea that right was, up. That was supposed to be the packaging, but I think Jordan was smart enough to kind of pivot and say, oh, these will be the promos. In the meantime, we're going to hurry up and like fix this and then reprint. And, uh, you know, it's just one of the many reasons why, 
you know, this this record is probably a huge money pit for Revelation because like we got a lot of money to record it. Not a lot, but you know, whatever. Like we asked for a significant amount of money to record it. And then, you know, like you print a whole first run and it goes in the garbage, you know, like sorry, Jordan, but it's just the way it went <laughs> it definitely down. Didn't, yeah, it didn't I, you know, I don't. Yeah, I, I definitely none none of it happened. I think any the way any of us could have perceived, you know. But also, you know, especially during that time, and then you know, look, twenty five years later, it's kind of interesting to see. Well, because you guys have been practicing with Dave, right? You, oh well, or, well, right. That's it's like everything is know. everything is like kind of coming back full circle because. Dave Bryson, the drummer on this record, just moved back to Baltimore, and he's he's still a very good friend of mine. He's he's he actually went on to have a very successful musical career after. Dam- he was smart to leave Damnation. Yeah, <laughs> he went to jo- you know he played in a bunch of great bands: Blue Tip, Canyon, Sunvolt. You know he was like in Jason Isbell's band for a while. Like oh, he's wow. a professional musician. You know he's like a legit drummer. Uh, and now yeah, I saw him on David Letterman, and I was yeah. like. Wait, what? You know, so. Yeah, he he's a he's a really really great friend of mine and a, has a great talent, and um, he's back in Baltimore and we've practiced a couple of times with him. You know, running through some of these songs and it's just a you know it's it's incredible. Like it just it's running like through all these the, songs to to play them live. We were well. He's he's well. This is this is what's kind of great about him is I remember meeting him. I met him at a show um, in DC. We went back to like, I met him that night. He's like, Hey, can we go back to my house and jam? I'm trying to learn how to play the drums. And, you know, he's like, yeah, sure. He just loves to play music period. You know, like, so even like we went back to my house and he proceeded to like totally melt my face. He could play the guitar. Like I've never heard before, play drums. Like I never heard before. And I was like, damn, this guy would be a great drummer in damnation. There's no way he's going to do it. Cause it's not his, it's not exactly his, um, you know, lane. his lane. That's, I mean, he went to hardcore shows at the Anthrax in Connecticut, you know, but he's also into other weird shit too, you know, like, but he just loves to play music. So when I finally got the courage to ask him like, Hey man, I'm in this band and we really need a better drummer. What do you think? He's like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll give it a shot. It's like, wow. Okay, cool. I, I kind of had a feeling it wouldn't maybe necessarily last forever. He wasn't going to be in the band for five years, but, um, he just really likes to play. And so even now, 25 years later, the exact same thing happened. He moves back to Baltimore and it was actually Hillel that reached out to him and said, Hey Dave, how do you feel about jamming with me and Ken? And he said, yes. I was like, what? He wants to play these songs. I was like, are you serious? That's so cool. You know, like, so we've, I drove down to Hillel's house and we've, you know, run through these a couple of times just for fun. I don't know, like see what happens, but it sounded to me, it sounded absolutely amazing. It sounded incredible. A lot of these songs we we tried to play with other drummers and it just doesn't work because yeah. he has such a kind of particular, peculiar style. I was going to ask about that because I feel like the times I've seen Damnation, you don't really do much off of this record, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. He has a really uh, unusual style because he's not like a hardcore drummer. And that's why it took us a really long time to write this record. That's kind of why I think we were all really worn out by the time we recorded it. Um, I think that's why Ken was probably like, 
man, I'm going to go playing better than a thousand because that's fucking easy. <laughs> like we worked on, we worked on writing this record forever. You know, like we we had many practice spaces. We like, you know, worked and reworked songs. Like some of these songs were like totally different. Like you know, there could be like three albums worth of material probably. So it was really, you know, like we we spent a lot of energy trying to kind of like make something. Um, but a lot of it had to do with the way like Ken and Dave communicated. Like it wasn't like most bands Ken was in, he tells the drummer what to do and they do it. You know, Dave actually brought his own personality and his own kind of like, like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to play it different every time we rehearse it. <laughs> so like <laughs> it, it really, it really kind of like challenged Ken in a way, which, which I think ultimately was good for the songs and for him, you know, because he, by that point he was so used to getting like, like Mike was saying, like kind of like whatever he wanted. Um, and so for me, I love the way that those two guys kind of like, they kind of like, it doesn't quite like line up. You know what I mean? There's something a little bit off about it, like not off, but just, it's not your typical anything. I don't know. I think a lot of that is, is because of the drum style and the way he plays um, and I think that's what makes it special, you know, personally. So this is released 1998. I'm trying to find, I feel like it came out in the summertime. I don't remember, but let's no, say it was that. October. It was October. October. Okay. So were you guys already done by the time it came out? No. Well, we did a European tour right when it came out. And I don't, I think it, we, book the tour around the record coming out but then it was delayed so we did a tour and didn't have anything for it and i think that was kind of like the tipping point where it was just like okay like you know what do we do and then i think dave left shortly after that and we just kind of never regained um so we just can blame the whole thing on dave basically right yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I think, you know, he was such a good drummer and it's like, how do you go from someone who's just has such a unique style to like, how do you replace that? And I think we, we were never able to find that at the time, you know, now there's, there's a lot of really amazing drummers out there. Like I think drumming in general has come so far in terms of hardcore. It's not just like straight, like, one two one two you know but yeah at the time we just couldn't find a replacement for that i mean that's yeah, kind of tried. What, what might take yeah we tried we had a we had um we had a bunch of guys i think we were going to audition but then those some of those fell through and um yeah it just never came together it took it took a pretty long time it took like another 10 years i think until ken finally met someone i mean i think this band has had close to 10 drummers perform wow. you know live Let's maybe eight, eight to ten i don't know yeah. somewhere in that range but uh it wasn't until many many years later like mike was saying like when like the kids in the scene were just so much more proficient and could play and could actually play like some of these songs but that being said we still shied away from most of the songs on this record just because of their peculiar you know style or whatever and and I honestly never realized people liked this record. I always felt like people were just kind of like, eh, whatever, and didn't have any interest in hearing the songs. And then 
when we did uh, wait for a day and people were like really grooving, you know, like, wow, it got a good response. And I was yeah. like, that's, that's really interesting. Um, wait, I think, is that the, the one with the keyboards? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's because you did that, I think at the Nick Rotunda show. And I yeah. Was, so we, I, I was we've been doing, we do that. And, you know, it's a lot of fun to play. I mean, maybe because it's the one we haven't played a million times, but it, there's, it's just different. Um, and I remember, well, this is kind of like a side note of, I was working at Jinx Proof in Georgetown and Tony, I love Tony, uh, was listening to a lot of typo negative. And so I started getting into that and I was like, yo, Ken, check out this song. And, you know, not knowing where it was going to go. And that's, I think not 100%, but I think that's kind of why that song ended up being the way it was with the keyboards. Cause, cause I was listening to so much typo negative at the shop. Alex, you may have something different about that one, but I think that's what I remember. Sounds, sounds good to me. I'll, go, I'll roll with that. I'll roll with that one. So you do the keyboard live? Well, we um, have samples. Okay, nice. So, yeah, it's just, you know, everything. And, you know, when we originally started, we were doing samples. We had a cassette deck down back by the soundboard or, you know, and, and we had like a dozen different tapes and you play one, turn it over, play the other. And, you know, now um, Ken brings his computer up on stage, but, you know, and, but I think uh, you could even do it with just like a cell phone now, you know, just running, running things. Cause I, um, yeah. So I think back, you know, the last <laughs> one of our last shows, Alex, was that our last show that we, we played? You didn't make, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, shows. I didn't actually perform this with this band. I, <laughs> yes. a, a MacBook pro played instead of me. Ken, Ken recorded the bass track for the set and just put a laptop on a chair. Right. And plugged it into the board. Yep. Because yep. the, the set was to a click track. So he just hit tape. and you know, like, I was like, Oh shit, I guess I've been replaced. I don't, I'm out yeah. of a job. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, that that show was rough because I had shattered my kneecap like three months before and I was wearing like two knee braces and, you know, and I was all in a lot of pain and just very conscious of my knee because I had a hard time walking as it was. I might have even still been on crutches, but then someone knocks a drink over on stage and I slip on a lemon and uh -oh. like it, like when I took the brace off my knee was just like like a football like it was so disgusting and yeah that's what i remember about that show so i'm really <laughs> hoping we get to play again and have alex be up on stage um you know i love i love watching alex because he's just kind of like there you know kind of like oh, i have i could be doing other things but i'm here you know <laughs> it's just so in my zone watch man. i'm in my zone I, and but i love a, it a lot of times i'm my I want my foot to be touching my cabinet like that's I don't know if a lot of bass players do that but like I love the feeling of the vibration going up my leg so you know when like Ken and Hillel are like trying to go out front and you know like put their foot on the monitor like no man I'm gonna go I'm gonna go like lean against my cabinet because that's where I feel it you know that's where I get it 
don't don't no. tell Mike Schleibaum that. I don't know if he'd agree with that being <laughs> that's I don't know if that's his idea of putting on a good concert. So <laughs> everyone keep this episode from Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so are we ready for uh Alex, I don't know if you've ever heard our podcast before, but we have a segment called Hot Tracks where we discuss our favorite song on the album. For you two, could be the song you're most proud of, could be the song you're, uh, you wanted to play most live, whatever it is. For us, it's just uh, what we feel is our, our favorite song on the album. And uh, Jason, I'm going to make you go first. Okay. Wait for a day, all day long. I love this song. I love oh. No More Dreams. I love Misericordia, but I will also just play Wait for a Day. I, I'm not into hardcore with keyboards, but for some reason that song is just perfect. Reminds me more of The Cure Second than negative. Typo Negative, though. That's, it reminds that's me of The Cure, and that's where I thought the influence is coming from. But uh, that could be. I've just, I just. It just reminded me, I think, you know, because I listened to it probably like the first time uh, in a long time. So mm -hmm. you could be right. You know, and without Ken, you never know. So it's, it's it's my favorite as well, Jason. That's my hot track. That's your hot track? Yes. But I was just going to say that. I always I, thought it sounded like typo negative, but I played it today for Becca and she's like, no, I'm not hearing typo negative at all. Hey, uh, it it. I, I really hate to say this, but that for me is the only skipper on the album. I skip that track every time. Ha. You are you are high. I, 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 not currently, but I love it. I love that that's your take. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but now, take, but I don't now agree. that I hear it might be influenced by typo negative, that explains a lot because I fucking hate typo negative. And yeah, so also, you know, I was gonna say it sounds like it sounds like a um but then the more I, you know, I played a couple times today, the record. Yeah, I actually, I, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, I do hear the cure now more like, it, it's almost like setting up like, oh yeah, they totally could cover an entire cure album mm. and make oh, it all awesome. weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and I listened to it again today with a more of a critical and less of an emotional ear. And I heard maybe for the first time why the keyboard fit in like musically and try to take my own experience of like this, this abrupt, like what are these keyboards doing here out of nowhere? Cause it doesn't, it kind of doesn't fit in with the rest of the album or the aesthetic, but that's not a bad thing. It's just different from everything else. And that's okay. I just, for me, especially upon like first hearing it and, and that like weird kind of connection, maybe unknowing of fitting into typo negative, I just had a real block against it. And like I said, Hey, nine out of 10 songs, that's almost the perfect album right there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I could be wrong in you know, it's just funny because it made me think of working at Jenks Proof, and mm -hmm. and I was so thankful when Tony would put that on because otherwise everyone was listening to Wu Tang all the time, and I just can't get into that. So yeah, but 
Uh, on what? On that. So I, we I disagree on that. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what they would put? Yeah. No, what would they put on? Oh no, they were, It was pretty. Yeah. So Tony would put on typo negative and then everyone else was listening to Wu-Tang. And I just, you know, I can appreciate it now, but at the time I just wasn't, wasn't feeling it, you know, not at all. Cause I liked EPMD and, and public enemy and stuff like that. Yeah. Like really loved that stuff. But Wu-Tang just wasn't, they, they weren't saying anything um, like public enemy was or, or BDP, you know, like they, they, there was nothing behind the lyrics. It doesn't that, have that, that socially conscious. Well, they it, are nothing was, to fuck with. Yeah. yeah and, but, that record's, and, you know, that record's killer. See Jason. <laughs> and they, and to me, and I'll steal this line. They were just rhyming for the sake of Ritalin. So, mm. you know, and I, I don't like that. So anyway, but now, you know, I'm more into it, but yeah, but now that we're talking about Jenks proof, like now I just want to say hi, Tad and Carl and Tim. Well, then we'll give them, and we'll give them the intro as well. But bit of bow, they're they're sponsors for this episode. They oh, said we awesome. want to sponsor. We want to sponsor Damnation AD. So That's awesome. shout yeah, out I to mean, them. Shout out to Tad. Yes, longtime friend. Tad is one of my favorite people in the world. So, Mike, now that we got you talking, what's your hot hot track? Almost said hot take. Um, what's your hot track? You know, I think the probably I like all my life. I think you know, Alex. That's, that's what, mine. I was going to say that one. I think you is know, that yours that, too. I think you know, in terms of what I wrote that about, and it it was like very personal, and it's you know still carries on and. um and that was that was one where you know again I would talk to Ken about it. I kind of gave him an outline of what I wanted to say, and he did a really great job of filling in the gaps. Um, and so, but yeah, and I think that's probably a better way to describe the the um, cooperation I had with Ken. He would fill in a lot of the gaps. Sometimes they were giant potholes more than gaps. But yeah, he, he does a great job of, of kind of, uh, you know, telling my story for me. The change in that song is awesome. Like it almost, you're like, is this the same song? Like it completely like shifts tone yeah, or it's whatever. A, it's and different. It's cool. Were you mad at the Foo Fighters for stealing the song title a couple years later? Did they? I don't know. <laughs> I don't listen they, to they have like, as much. No, they have a big listen to that bullshit, Greg. They have a big hit song called All My Life. Sorry, yeah. Mike. No, but can oh. I can I jump in on top of that? Like yeah, yeah. That that's the way I remember that. And this could just be whatever, my memory, nobody else's. I remember begging Ken to write some slower songs. Uh like we spent a, way too much time working on the mortal too. And that song was driving me crazy. I hated that song yeah. for, and I kind of still do a little bit. So I'm like, all right, all right, I'll keep working on this song, but you got to write me a slow, like slow jam, you know, like a, like a song that's like a little bit more like backed off, um, you know, like maybe a little neurosis, maybe a little, I don't know, some other things kind of in there. And 
I love the way this music is, but that's one of the songs that I actually like the lyrics for. Um, that song, I love the way it starts, Mike. And I, I listened to this on the subway the other day, like coming home from work. And I'm not afraid to admit that I actually teared up <laughs> listening to this mm -hmm. song. Because I was like, holy shit, dude. Like listening to the actual, like kind of vaguely maybe knowing what some of it was it about, some, what some of it was about. Like I was like, man, this is really powerful, you know, like emotional metal or rock or whatever. It's like, I don't know. It hit me. Like I always loved the way that song felt, but something about the way like the lyrics and the music mixed really hit me like the other day. And that was the one thing that jumped out more than anything on that whole record was just the way that that song kind of like was the whole package. So yeah, that's gotta be for me, you know, like, I don't know. That's the one I wish, you know what I do sometimes I actually go onto YouTube and you can, um, you can change the tempo of music on YouTube. You can actually slow it down a little bit. <laughs> or speed it up. I play it at like 0.875 speed, so it's even heavier. So it's, it's <laughs> like a hair slower. So it's like like if your record player was kind of like uh -huh. dying or something. Um, I recommend that to anybody that likes that song. Try uh, it. My, my record player can you can change the 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 pitch a little bit. So I'll try that. Mm -hmm. I'll try to slow it down. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all own this one on re on record, right? Uh huh. That's that's sort of rare. That's a rare rarity. Yeah. Yeah. This is a record that we all agree on as being one of our favorites, oddly. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, and again, I think there's so many things you guys did that set you apart from the the genre of like metallic hardcore. And that's why I I love it. So for like a lot of the reasons that you mentioned that like you didn't, you know, fit into anything was is what makes it awesome to me. And I'm glad to see this record getting some love. I always thought like, because because like you said, not playing the songs live, I thought well, maybe like the band doesn't think it's good either. And I'm just fucking crazy for thinking it's, you know, my favorite one. But it seems like now I got the story. Yeah. Well, we got to know Hobbs hot track. Oh, yeah. My hot track. Yeah. Well, listen, like I, I, I had to bring up the walleye split earlier. Um, because in the flesh, the version on the walleye split, man, it, to me, it sounds, <laughs> that song sounds like walking into a haunted house, like an actual haunted oh. house, <laughs> especially the seven inch version. And so when I first heard the 12 inch version, I was like, you fucking made it better somehow. That's fucking crazy. Like you took the same samples, you made it better. But then this song called All My Life comes on and fucking blows me away with the craziest, like the craziest longest riff that includes like a feedback blast into the riff. And I, I I, there's almost nothing like it in all of hardcore. It's one of the most unique riffs in all of hardcore. And that, uh, that's, that's my hot track. And if I Jason ever see, called it, if I, I called I, it, you did. 
I did. Yeah. I texted Greg earlier. I said, all my life, Hops Hot Track. And by the way, this would have been my, if if I had to pick, a, like, it was between all my life and uh, wait for a day, like, for me. Because I everything you guys are saying is spot on about it. The lyrics, the the uh, actual performance itself. I would recommend anybody who's listening to, to this episode and maybe hasn't, you know, because there are a lot of people, uh, I, I lost track of damnation after, you know, the Jade Tree stuff. Hey, this, this, if some, if, if you had to give an elevator speech and recommend one, not just damnation AD record, but someone's like, hey, can you recommend me a, a heavy 90s hardcore album? I think that this would be your gateway. This could be your gateway drug to both of those things. Absolutely. This is an excellent starting point. And then branch off. I mean, I'll give someone a fucking college dissertation on damnation AD <laughs> records if you want. Uh, but this is a good starting point. Um, and if I ever get the chance to see damnation AD play and they play this song, I will f- judo throw motherfuckers to get the mic and scream. I want to see you burn. I will fucking oh kill God, everyone yes. in the room to, to to grab both of you guys. Better take out extra life insurance because I'm gonna. <laughs> your kids are gonna need it after I throw you on the ground to scream that. That's correct. Yeah, correct I, me I, if I'm I, wrong, Mike, but I don't think we ever played that song live. We didn't play we, it live once, did we? Well, there's no. Gonna be a the time. only. The only time we tried it, we I, and for some reason I remember this so vividly. We were in Berlin and we played with, um, oh my god, old New York hard band, hardcore band like from the eighties. Cause Holy for shit. alarm. Yes, cause for alarm. Holy what? shit! Why would you, why would you get that? Yeah, so we That's we like... played with them and we did it at Soundcheck, uh-huh. and that was the only time I think we ever attempted it. Well, that's got to change. This needs to be played front to back for the 25 year anniversary. That's what I'm saying. I'll play keyboards too. Yeah, wait for a day. I like that. I like that. That's awesome. You know, that was recorded. That was that we can use the organ that was in um, the outpost, and I think it was from the Allman Brothers. No way. it's like a it's like a keyboard that's been on a like not a keyboard but I'm sorry the organ the uh-huh. it had a rotating Leslie and it was like a big Hammond organ or whatever. But it, I think it had the Allman Brothers stenciled on the back, and Jim said, "Oh yeah, that's been on a ton of big records." Blah blah blah. Oh. So yeah, it actually has a little bit of like, you know, legit the mojo, mojo in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Great. Just pretty funny to think about, like the Allman Brothers on a Revelation record. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, just a, was a great conversation. We were all looking forward to this one, um, and. I can't say enough good things about this record because again, yeah, sure. it's just, it's, I think it's, I think it's perfect. I, I, I had to listen to it twice today cause I almost can't just play it once. Um, and I would love to see these songs in a live setting. So. Hey, um, also on Spotify, you can listen to like all of the early hey everybody javier here just wanted to uh give a bit of bow to our top tier patrons billy tonnell brandon gavel brian skivington brooklyn cesar falcon 
Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of fucking Head to Wall fame, Ryan Walker, Ryan White, Tad Payton, Tim Shear, Tyler of the Life and Death Brigade, and Siren Records. Listen, if you have any interest at all in supporting us every month, you love what we do, you're just into it, head over to whereitwentpodcast.com. There's information. It'll take you to our Patreon. You can help us. You can unlock all kinds of fucking crazy bonus content. Like right now, instead of listening to me tell you about the bonus content, you could be listening to me, Greg, Jason, uh, Brian, talk about this record some more. So I'm just going to say go to whereitwentpodcast.com. And if you don't and you just like listening to this for fun, then... um. Yeah, we'll see you next episode. Bidipo.